This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp, the online counseling service dedicated to connecting you with a licensed counselor to help you overcome whatever stands in the way of your happiness. Fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a professional tailored to your needs. And if you aren't satisfied with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time, free of charge. Visit BetterHelp.com Latino to get 10% off your first month. Get the help you deserve with BetterHelp. I think anytime you have indigenous peoples, particularly from Latin America in any space, we tend to be invisibilized, rendered as Latinos or Hispanos, rather than acknowledged for who we are and what we are. From NPR and Futuro Media, it's Latino USA. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Today, one of our How I Made It segments with Charlie Uruchima, host and co-founder of Quichua Hatari. For Charlie Uruchima, Quichua is more than just a language. It's a culture and a way of being. Charlie's parents are from Ecuador. They arrived to New York City in the early 1980s as part of a wave of migration of Ecuadorans escaping economic recession. Many of Ecuador's indigenous people were impacted, including those from the Quichua community, Quichua is a variant of the Quechua language. It's rooted in the South American Andes and widely spoken in Ecuador. Today, the New York metropolitan area is home to the largest Ecuadorian population in the United States. Among them are thousands of Quichuas, like Charlie and his family. As a kid in New York City, Charlie did not grow up speaking Quichua. However, when he took his first Quechua course at New York University, he says he felt it was more of a process of remembering than learning. We're remembering a language that was stripped from us, from our parents, from our grandparents, from our ancestors. With the knowledge of Quechua, Charlie then began to learn the variant spoken in Ecuador, which is Quechua. At the same time, he also began to see the need for resources for New York's Quechua community, like interpretation in schools and hospitals. To help organize the community, Charlie and his collaborators Segundo Angamarca and Luis Antonio Lema founded Quichua Hatari, the first Quichua language radio station in the United States. In July of 2014, Quichua Hatari aired its first broadcast. And six years later, Charlie and his team continue to use the power of radio to empower others to learn the language, organize as a community, and connect with others. Every week on Radio El Tambo Stereo, Quichua Hatari features Quichua artists, educators, and activists from New York City and beyond. The show is hosted in both Quichua and Spanish. In this segment of How I Made It, Charlie Uruchima shares his journey with his ancestral language and how through Quichua Hatari, Charlie and his co-hosts build solidarity that defies borders. I grew up, I didn't really think of Quichua beyond its presence in music, beyond its presence in day-to-day language, you know, certain words, phrases, like achachai, something that we say to say it's cold. You know, we step outside the door, achachai is like synonymous to it's brick outside. It's like achachai. <laughs> 
My name is Charlie Uruchima. I am born and raised in New York City. My parents are Ecuadorian. I am a little bit of everything. I do radio. I'm a community activist, community organizer, and I am the co-founder of Quichua Hatari. Quichua is a language. Quichua is the variant of Quechua. However, I see Quichua as not only a language, but also as an identity, a culture, and a way of being and existing. When I attended NYU as an undergrad, I discovered that they were teaching a Quechua course. I remember the first class, we learned what it meant to be runa. Runa is a word that in Quechua means human being. But across the Andes, you know, even in Ecuador, even at home, amongst my family members, I've heard runa being used as a negative connotation. Growing up and, and hearing that word in that context for so long and then switching that light on about what the word means, about where it comes from, was really new to me. It was really eye-opening. Growing up, I feel like I didn't have a Quechua community. I think part of my work has been to build the Quechua community and belong to it as well. Quechua Hatari means Quechua as the language Quechua, and Hatari means rice. And when I see Quechua rise, I think we mean Quechua in all aspects. It's Quechua as a language, Quechua as a culture, Quechua as an identity, as a way of being, as a way of existing. This is the process in which we were heading towards. And when I say we, I mean myself and the people I met along this process, like Luis Antonio Lema, who happened to teach me Quechua in the summer of 2014, the summer that we founded Quechua Hatari. And then meeting Segunda Gamarca. Segunda Gamarca had his own makeshift radio station in his home. He had divided his bedroom into part bedroom, part radio studio. When I met Segundo, he was very open. He told us that he had tried to hold Kicho programs in the station, but people weren't really gravitating towards it. And they were actually questioning him for the reasons why he was speaking the language or bringing that language into the radio in a context like New York City. In those conversations, we thought about a pilot radio program where we can have a sort of talk show exchange about what Quechua means for us and also what Quechua means for the community. For about two years, we actually didn't have to invite guests because guests were inviting themselves. And it was beautiful to see that, to see that every week we had new people on. People were meeting each other. It was also a space where people were building community and getting to collaborate and initiate collaborations. You know, a musician with a language activist, for example illustrators with the musical artist and seeing that space opening up in Kicho Hatari made us aware that radio has a power beyond just words. Last October, there was an indigenous uprising in Ecuador. And it's not the first time indigenous communities have come together to topple government in the past, be it in the 90s, be it in the 60s and the 70s. And what happened last October in 2019 was the welcoming of the current president, Lenin Moreno, of the International Monetary Fund into the country. We begin today's show in Ecuador, 
where tens of thousands of people led by indigenous leaders are expected to again bring the country to a standstill today in massive ongoing anti-government protests. And because of this introduction of the IMF, certain austerity measures were passed that would eliminate subsidies to oil in the country. It would increase costs for transportation. And this is really what connects indigenous communities to urban cities. This was going to affect people from the working class even more than anybody else. And so the indigenous communities really got together and marched in the capital city of Quito, of Ecuador. When they were there, they were actually met with a lot of repression, met with the military, met with rubber bullets, tear gas. Many lives were lost. I actually was fortunate enough to belong then to a collective called Runas in Resistance. We all came together, wanted to denounce what was happening in the languages that we speak, like English. Indigenous brothers and sisters, we understand your pain and we feel it. All the people who have been injured, all the people who have died, their families and the communities deserve justice. And to the support communities there that were being most affected and organizations that were at the forefront to build solidarity across the diaspora. I think as we live through this pandemic, we're having to ask ourselves a lot of questions for a lot of folks in our community and the Quechua community and Ecuadorian community as a whole. We're living a double crisis the situation both here in the States. Here in New York City, where the coronavirus has hit immigrant communities the hardest. And of our family and community back in Ecuador. In Latin America, Ecuador is seeing one of the world's worst coronavirus outbreaks. So I see a lot of what's happening currently with the COVID crisis also as a moment for supporting each other through words as well. I think in the Quechua radio program, we've been able to do that. We've been talking to frontline workers in Ecuador and both here about their experiences. And what does it mean to be Kicho and not recognize necessarily here in New York City as being indigenous? What does that mean in terms of like accessing resources or like having to rely on your own community at the end of the day for support? And then what does it mean to be Quechua in Ecuador where there are no resources, where the state will never really take care of you as it should? So on Quechua Hatare, on our radio show, we've been able to really have moments of deep reflection. ¿Cómo nosotros como comunidad podemos apoyarnos? ¿Cómo podemos eh, sanar? Yo creo que la, las comunidades indígenas nos caracterizamos por la minga. Lupe Cachiguango, a representative of the Roots for Change Collective, a Quechua woman in her community in Chicago, said our indigenous communities characterized themselves by the minga. Mingas are when everyone works together. If I have a neighbor who needs food, I will call them over and feed them. Mingas are very important right now for us as Ayus, as families that we are. It's the most important thing we have at this moment. When we started the radio program, I started to identify the folks that I was working with as my community, 
as my Ayu. Ayu in Quechua and Quechua means family and community. And little by little, seeing the community grow, seeing Quechua's in Queens, seeing Quechua's in Brooklyn, in the Bronx, seeing the community, the diaspora, reach all the way through to Canada, to Chicago. I think I'm comfortable enough to say that I consider this as my community and I feel connected in a way that I think growing up I didn't. The words of Charlie Uruchima, host and co-founder of Quichua Hatari. To listen online and learn more about the program, visit quichuahatari.org. This episode was produced by Julia Rocha and edited by Sofia Palizaca with help from Janice Yamoka. The Latino USA team includes Miguel Macias, Luis Treyes, Julieta Martinelli, Ginny Montalvo, Alisa Escarce, and Alejandra Salazar with help from Raul Perez. Our engineers are Stephanie LeBeau and Julia Caruso. Additional engineering this week by Leah Shaw. Our director of programming and operations is Natalia Fidelholtz. Our digital editor is Amanda Alcantara. Our interns are Sofia Sanchez and Marie Mendoza. Our theme music was composed by Zenia Rubinos. If you like the music you heard on this episode, stop by latinousa.org and check out our weekly Spotify playlist. I'm your host and executive producer, Maria Hinojosa. Join us again on our next episode. And in the meantime, look for us on all of your social media. And remember, stay safe. Ciao. Latino USA is made possible in part by the Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, and W.K. Kellogg Foundation a partner with communities where children come first. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, a legendary strike in a New Mexico mining town and the blacklisted film it inspired. You'll find out how societies advance how they become powerful, and how they dissolve. Salt of the Earth. That's next time on Latino USA. How do you maintain a friendship in the middle of a pandemic? Including our last restaurant meal. My last restaurant meal was with you. I love that. Wow. <laughs> Aminatou So and Ann Friedman gave me some friend pointers. They host a podcast called Call Your Girlfriend, and they wrote a book all about friendship. Listen and subscribe now to It's Been a Minute from NPR.